scripture reading for today. It comes from Romans chapter 8, verses 12 through 17. We're going to read this in the ESV. And there are ESV Bibles uh, under your pews. And uh, feel free to uh, look up the scripture uh, if you want to follow us that way. Um, And... uh, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll give folks a, a chance to look that up. Uh, again, it's Romans chapter 8, verses 12 through 17. It will also be projected behind me, just so you know. And if you could please stand as able, uh, once you're ready to read the scripture, for the reading of God's word for us. So may the Lord bless the reading of God's word for us today. So then, brothers and sisters, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. All right. Well, friends, we are continuing in uh, our, our, our investigation, our looking at uh, the, the letter uh, uh, to the Romans, um, it, it, particularly chapter 8. And uh, we've been taking our time with this. And uh, it kind of reminds me of uh, the movie Shrek. Have you guys seen the movie Shrek? It's been a number of years for me. But I remember there's this one scene where, uh, you know, Shrek is saying to the donkey, he's like, you know, ogres are like onions. We have layers. And the donkey says, you know, oh, you mean like a parfait? And I prefer the parfait, so I'm showing a picture of a parfait. This apparently is a chocolate hazelnut parfait. It looks delicious. Also got some berries in there, you know. But I like the, the, when you're talking about layers and how people can be complex and messages being, be, can be complex. And what we've been talking about in Romans, it's got a lot of layers. And I like the parfait better because onion, it's just the same. You just get more onion, right? I guess you got that like weird skin on the outside, but besides that, it's all onion, right? But parfait, I mean, you got yogurt or ice cream. Mm, you got, you know, fruits and little crunchy granola bits. And- all this kind of stuff. This one's got chocolate and hazelnut. Like, but at the same time, even though you got these different things going on, there are things that repeat, right? A, a, a lot of the layers, there's similarities as you go down. And that is true of what we are reading in Romans. So some of the things that you are going to, uh, that you are going to hear and that we're going to be talking about today are going to be very similar to what you have heard before, but the flavors get a little more complex and, 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 and you know, get a little varied. And I, I think in many ways, get better as you start to dig more down. Because that's one of the things with the parfait is as you're digging down into it, like all the stuff starts to blend together. And instead of just getting like a little bit of granola, a little bit of a berry, I, I know I'm really killing this parfait <laughs> analogy, but you know, it's like all the stuff starts to mix together and it just makes it so delightful. And I think that that's what you're going to see is that we have been talking about some stuff that it does take some digging. It does take some explanation. And I have to say Romans 8, uh, I've shared this before, but it is one of my favorite chapters. It is so layered and it is so complex and there's so much richness to it that there are times, and I encourage 
to do this if you ever feel so led, uh, to just sit down with it, like maybe with a, you know, a cup of coffee or a, a nice cup of tea, you know, and just, just read it. And, you know, maybe just read it again and again and again. Do what it says in scripture to meditate on it, right? To, to kind of like, you know, you're just chewing on it. You just chew on it over and over again, and you're going to see so much complexity come from it. And so, you know, what I'm going to be sharing with you, it's going to be one take on it, and we're not going to be able to get to get into all of it, but we are building upon what came before. So I want to remind you of what we talked about last week, which was this idea of the spirit dwelling within us. So just want to read verse 11 for you before we get into what we have today. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, lives in you, has made a home inside of you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit who dwells in you, who lives inside of you. And we have been talking about this idea that we can be led by spirit or we can be led by flesh. And to be led by flesh, it's not to say that you're weak or there's something really bad, anything more bad than any of us. It's just the natural state of humanity that we are flesh, and, and we're not just talking about the idea that we have bodies, right? We're not just talking about the physical aspect. But when Paul talks about flesh, he is trying to talk about, I think, the natural state of us. And so sometimes we talk about it as like our old self, the, the old human. You know, sometimes it's talked about like the sinful self. But again, that seems to be like, like adding a lot of morality to it. Because I think what people misunderstand think that there's some, you know, exceptional humans that aren't like this. And then there's others that are like weak and we're bad and sinful. But the, the fact of the matter is we're all like this. If you hear Paul talk, and we went a little into uh, chapter 7 uh, in the first week that we went into Romans 8, and Paul is really talking about himself, how he struggles with things that he knows that he should do, things that he wants to do, things that in his best moments, he's like, I should do this. I should love people. I should be more patient. I should be more kind, right? Like, like it could be so many things that he wishes he could do, but he's like, I don't do those things. <laughs> Instead, I do other things. Maybe there's things where, you know, you're, you're self-protecting. Times where you just lash out in anger or you just react out of emotionality. You know, you get triggered by something. You get scared. You, you start, you know, thinking of people as the enemy and, and things are very black and white. And I'm the good guy and you're the bad guy and I need to protect myself. There are these natural ways of being that all of us live in. Right? That's what Paul means by the flesh. And so we are told to not be led by the flesh, by this old system. You know, sometimes people talk about as like lizard brain, or people talk about uh, the default network of the brain, that it, is, it prioritizes two things. It prioritizes your safety and your comfort above all, right? So it's trying to eliminate threats and trying to maximize comfort and pleasure, Right? And that's just the place where most people live. But the thing is, what we see in life, and, and you know, it's something that we talked about, but that we have to realize, as it talks about here, that you could live that way, but it's not going to lead to life, at least not the kind of life that I think a lot of us want. The fullness of life, the richness of life when you are able to live for something more than just your immediate comfort. Almost all of the richness of life there. 
the real meaning and purpose, the, the, the greater purpose, cosmic purpose, when you really feel like, you know, like we're talking about kingdom stuff, we're talking about eternal stuff, we're talking about, you know, it's not just about me, just little me, but this bigger world, right? All of that is, can only be about when we are living in the spirit. It's not going to happen through the flesh. The flesh keeps us very small, right? We can just only live just right here, just right now, just this immediate thing where we're just so scared to step outside of our comfort zone, right? And so we just stay here. We don't love people, not, not, you know, not when it gets uncomfortable, right? We're not forgiving people. We're not really healing the world, right? We're just, just, just right here, you know? And again, it's not meant to be a moral judgment. It's just to say, that's where we all start, right? It's just the human condition, right? But when it says, the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead, this is a spirit of resurrection that dwells in you. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit in you. So this idea that the spirit is going to bring us to life, the flesh, living by the flesh, it's not leading to lots of life. It's leading to a very limited life. But the Spirit of Christ wants to open all of that up. And so, friends, uh, you know, we've been talking about this idea of becoming a dwelling place of the Spirit. And so, you know, just got a picture of a house here. <laughs> and this idea of, you know, maybe there are things, there are spirits that are occupying our minds, that are occupying our hearts, and so, you know, we're meant to be a dwelling place of the spirit, but other things are filling it. It just makes me think of uh, the, the parable that Jesus told about the person who was possessed by an evil spirit. You guys remember, uh, there's an unclean spirit who's possessing somebody, and then, you know, it gets cast out, right? So the spirit leaves, but it's going around and it can't find a place to dwell, and so it comes back to the person and finds that things were just kind of tidied up. Like, it's, it's, it's a really nice place to be now, you know, but it's still empty. And so what, what, is the, the, what does Jesus say? That seven spirits now are going to come in. Seven more are going to come in. And that now this state is going to be worse than the first, right? You know, uh, what, what is this talking about? I know that for a lot of us, we think about spiritual things, especially when we say the word spirit, you know, and sometimes it sounds very scary. It's like, woo, but, but we, we have been trying to demystify spirit a little bit. Uh, uh, there is mystery there, of course, you know, but this idea of spirit to think of it, not exactly about what it is, but what spirits do. I think that will be more fruitful for us. Right, And so LGM friends who have been here for a hot minute, what do spirits do? Oh, you guys want me to sing. Okay. All right. Cool. <laughs> I, I understand the assignment. Uh, you, you guys know the song Oceans, right? Where it goes, <laughs> spirit lead me where my trust is without borders. That's all you're going to get, friends. That's all I can do. <laughs> what do spirits do? Spirits, what me? Spirits, lead me. This is what spirits do. Spirits lead you. So if, you're, if your mind, if your heart is occupied by a spirit not of Christ, we're going to get to this in a moment. We talked a lot about this last week, so just to give you a hint. 
one of the main spirits of this world that is operative and that really syncs up with that old self, with that flesh. It, it activates the default network. It is the spirit of fear. And this occupies us big time, right? And, and so, friends, we want to not be occupied by fear, but we want to be occupied by a spirit of Christ. What is that spirit? Well, I'm glad you asked. That's what we're going to be talking about today. So let's d- dive right in, right? Verse 12. So I already said, you know, like, like it's maybe helpful to understand what spirits do, but we're going to get a little more specific. What exactly does the spirit do? And what is the Holy Spirit's business? What is the Holy Spirit? It's the spirit of God the Father, Christ the Son, doesn't tell me a whole lot about what that actually does in our lives. And this is where we're going to get down to brass tacks, guys. So this is an exciting uh, verse. So guys, I I know maybe you you have a little bit of food coma, but it's going to be worth it. It's going to be worth it to really dig in and, and, and to take apart this a little bit. So let's dive right in. Verse 12. So then, brothers and sisters, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. So we already talked about this idea that the Spirit leads you. In some ways, you feel like you have no choice. This idea of being indebted to the flesh, it's almost like you're chained to the flesh. There's a lot of talk about kind of like slavery, You know, this idea that the Holy Spirit is meant to free us. You've probably heard this before. But this idea that we are chained to sin. We are slaves to sin. I do believe that. But I think when when Paul talks about that, he doesn't just mean that that we're just always going to do bad stuff. It's not about that, right? I mean, it can be like less than ideal, for sure. But what it's talking about is that if you are being led by fear, right? And in many ways, when you are in the grip of fear, you know, um, it's almost like, you know, you do things, I don't know if you ever have these moments where you, you kind of look back after you had a, a, a real strong anxiety episode or, you know, just, just lots of fear, you know, and, and you maybe acted differently than you would have wanted to. Man, why did I say that? What, what, what did I do? Why did I snap at that person? You know, that, that's not really what you would have chosen or would, how you would want to be in this world, but that's how you ended up acting. Right? So this idea that, you know, we don't want to be debtors to the flesh. We don't want to be tied to that, um, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Paul's a little more clear here. He's like, you know, not only are you not going to have fullness of, of life, but death. It's going to lead to destru- destruction. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body... You will live. So, friends, what it's saying is if you are able to live by the Spirit, you won't have to live the way that you used to live in your body. You can have a different response, right? And it says, if you can do that, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Again, that's that language of slavery, right? You are enslaved to this spirit of fear, right? But if you are led by the spirit of God, you are children of God. So what is this spirit? (laughs) What does it do? What is it about? It is the spirit of adoption or the spirit of sonship. Some translations say that. 
And so, friends, this takes a, a, a little explaining. Um, so we don't really have this word in English, you know. So, I, I mean, you know, I'm going to make up a word because sonship is kind of a made-up word anyways, right? You know, I'm going to call it sonification, okay? The process by which you are made a son or a child, okay? <laughs> so that's why the language in the ESV, it's, it's a little like, like they use more words than are there. It's just one word, sonification, right? But this, the spirit of adoption as sons. And so, friends, you may have noticed that, you know, uh, some of the language that, get, that gets used in Paul's letters, um, it, it's a patriarchal society. It's kind of sexist language, you know. And so I tried to change, you know, brothers to brothers and sisters and things like that. This is the one that I did not change. And there's a reason for that. Because what we need to understand is in this society, uh, for us to really understand what the spirit is doing, that you have to understand that in uh, uh, the traditional society that Jesus came from, that it, it, it was just a sexist society, guys. I, I wish it were different, but that's just the way it was. And men were treated differently than women. And so sons, in many ways, were kind of thought of as like the heir, right? Like, if I have a daughter, my, my kind of hope is that daughter will marry into a good family. But if I have a son, then the son is the one by which, you know, like, like all of the things that I have go to the son. We're not saying that's right. We're just saying that that's what happened, right? And so Paul is using the language of the time to indicate to all of us what is happening to us, whether you're a man or a woman, okay? This sonification is also happening to women. Okay, so I, I know it's a little bit confusing, but what it's trying to say is think about Jesus. Jesus is the son of God. Now, Jesus was a man, right? But we all want to be like Jesus, right? Whether you're a man or a woman, right? Right? Isn't that true? Can I get an amen? Right? Even women want to be like Jesus. And this is what the Spirit is trying to give us. Think about the relationship that Jesus has with the Father, And the father has with the son. Jesus showing all this respect and all this love to the father, but the father also honoring the son and loving the son. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. One and only son. That status is what is being given to you, whether you're a man or a woman, right? You are the heir now. You share in that same status, Right? What kind of status is this? Well, one is of deep love and connection. Right? We see this. By whom we cry, Abba, Father. You may know something about um, Israel's relationship with God. For one, they thought of God as being so holy and so good, so cosmically good, That we who are evil and stained and imperfect, there's no way we could stand in the presence of this God without being burned up. We we need some kind of mediation, right? We need high priest and uh, give offerings and mediate this. Because if we as a sinful person were to stand before this holy God, you literally would die, right? And, And we believe in many ways Jesus was that ultimate mediation, but... Even more than that, 
Jesus represents a new kind of human relationship that you can have with this God. So for instance, pretty much no one in Israel, you know, and and we have lots and lots of, uh, 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 you know, scripture to pull from, from uh, the the Hebrew Bible, right? We, We have tons and tons of stuff. And they pretty much never call God Father. Sometimes it'll say, God, you are like a father, but they would never dare to call God Father because it's too intimate. It's, it's just like, like, how dare you? I mean, people, when, when, you know, Jesus was called the Son of God, they're like, how dare you put yourself on the even similar footing with God to say that you are of the same stock as God? How dare you? You are a worm. You're a creature. You're just dust. You know, dust we are, and to dust we will return. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. You're, you're nothing, right? How dare you? But Jesus, ah, in his boldness, in his intimacy with the Father, he would call him Abba, right? Um, I, I'm Korean-American. Uh, the, the term we use for dad is Appa. You know, I know in, in English, sometimes people say Papa, Dada, right? It's different than father, you know? Hello, father. You know, in, in, in Korean, there's also other terms. There's abaji, abonim, you know, they're very honorific terms, right? And then there's appa. It's like the basic sound that a child makes, right? You know, the, 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 that, that's why almost across all cultures, mom and daddy sound very similar. Right? It's just a basic sound you're making. And so it, it is not sophisticated place like in my intelligence i have so much to give to you father it's papa appa appa i need you i need appa right that's the level right i know it's so crazy that's how jesus addressed his father appa 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 right it is by this spirit that he could cry, Abba, Father. And it's by that spirit that you can have that kind of relationship with God. That's what we're talking about. Why is the spirit of fear so prevalent in this world? Why? I will say that I think that in this age that we live in, there's a lot of people who believe this. You're not a beloved child of an infinitely loving God, you're just the equivalent to a piece of space dust. You know, you're just atoms that just ran into each other over thousands of years, right? And they just keep running into each other. And then before you know it, they just, you know, start moving in a certain direction. And before you know it, you know, you, you, just, you just are sentient, you know, and then we just kept having kids, and we just kept having evolution. And before you know it, just, we're here. And in this world, it's a cold and indifferent world. You are nothing more than a cosmic accident. There's no love. And in this world, it's so scary because everything is random. What if another molecule that is bigger than you or sharper than you or traveling at a a higher velocity than you runs into you and ends your life. What happens to you? You have no soul or spirit. You're gone. It's so scary. And we have developed a kind of nervous system that reacts to that. 
and it's trying to keep you alive. And it prioritizes fear. It prioritizes threats. And it latches on to fear so tightly that it feels like you are almost enslaved to that spirit at times. Have you ever been so afraid that it's like you're just hijacked? Your body's shaking. You're reacting in a certain way. You can't think clearly, right? You're just, you're taken over by this spirit of fear. And many of us, we live in a cold, lonely, random world. That's all we have. But this is not the world. This is not the universe. This is not the kingdom that Jesus lived in. I like to share the story because it's so indicative of the spirit that Jesus had where Jesus was with the disciples. The disciples, you know, they grew up, you know, they're, they're, you know, grew up in the traditions of Israel, and, you know, they know this to some level, but they still have this separation. God is way up there, and they're always messing up, and, you know, and so they're there, and they're on a fishing boat, and a big storm brews, and Jesus is somewhere on this fishing boat, and Jesus is sleeping. The disciples are Oh my gosh, oh my gosh, maybe we did something wrong. Maybe God's mad at us. Maybe this is it. What's going to happen to us? It's all over. Ah! And Jesus just comes up and he says, be quiet, storm. <laughs> and it is. Jesus was, was sleeping. He was completely at peace. I've heard people describe, for those of us who can live in the kingdom and to be a citizen of the, this kingdom is to have this spirit within us leading us. It is a place of no anxiety, no fear. It is a place where we know through and through in our bones, in our nervous system, that we are loved, right? That you are a spiritual being. You're a spiritual being with an eternal destiny because you are a child of the almighty God. That's the spirit. That's the Holy Spirit. It is a spirit that makes you a child. Childification, right? And so this is what we need to be living in us. Friends, it's all over the place in scripture. This idea that these two spirits are opposed to each other. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. What do you think would be more perfect than the love of the Father? than this agape love, than the love that God had for Jesus and that he also has for you. That's perfect love, and there's no fear in it. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Friends, there there are many of us that uh, Christ... Christians, we somehow have not gotten the memo that these things are oil and water, that these things are not meant to coexist, that we are meant to be freed from this kind of spirit. As it says, the spirit itself bears witness with our spirit. This word bears witness. It's a way provides evidence. It's a way of convincing you. Right? Because this is one of the things, friends. You may have heard this before, but you live as if... You're just a random, you know, <laughs> drifting piece of space dust. You live as if, you know, you, you are this, 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 this just creature, this accident, you know. You don't live as if you actually are a child of God, right? And so you can hear that message, and we've known it many times before. But we need the Spirit to convince you. 
that you really are a child, so you believe it inside and out. The Spirit itself bears witness, provides evidence, convinces our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. We're going to go more into the suffering part next week. But suffice it to say that if you know that you belong to God and that God is your father and you believe that with every fiber of your being, you can do hard things. You're not so afraid of suffering and the things that go into what, it, what, what, what love sometimes requires, right? Because we just know, and it is a superpower to know that you belong to God. We, we've been singing this song the last couple of weeks, and I was so tempted to make it again, but we sang it two weeks in a row, this, I'm no longer a slave to fear. There's a lot of singing today. I don't know. (laughs) I am a child of God. You know where that song comes from, right? You know what verses they're talking about. It's what we just read. We're no longer slaves to fear. Instead, we are children of God. That is what this is all about, right? But we need to be convinced of that. Do you guys remember when Jesus was baptized? And it's this really dramatic scene where the Holy Spirit comes and alights itself on Jesus. The the presence of the Holy Spirit comes in this way that at least some people could, could like see. It's so obvious. The Holy Spirit has come. And a voice accompanies it. You remember what that voice says? You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. We live in a world where in order to be beloved of anything, worth anything, we've got to go out and prove it, right? You've got to go and you know, get an advanced degree and make lots of money, and you've got to be of contribution to people, right? And that's honestly where a lot of fear comes from. We're, we're, we're kind of like... If I'm a piece of cosmic dust, I need to kind of convince everyone else that I'm not. And so I'm going to try to, you know, be like the best dressed piece of dust, you know. I'm going to try to make the most money. I'm trying to convince you that I am worth something. But this is the thing with Jesus, is Jesus went out and did great things. We know that. He did great things for the kingdom of God. But not before he received this message. This happened at the beginning of his ministry. As far as we know, Jesus had not preached one public sermon. Jesus had not performed one public miracle. And at the very beginning, just as a gift, as grace, you are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. I like to show this picture. This is my dad who, uh, he turns 80 tomorrow. And some of you guys know, my dad has uh, really gone through a tough time past few years. He had a brain bleed uh, a couple years ago, and it's left him you know, somewhat incapacitated. He can still move a little. He has trouble walking. Uh, he gets really confused nowadays. Um, but this is what was my dad more in his prime. And this is actually him with Sydney, uh, with one of my daughters. And you see the way that my dad is looking at my, my daughter. Um, I don't know why I didn't really see it when I was uh, a, a kid, because I'm pretty sure my dad looked at me a similar way. Maybe I was just too babyish to, to recognize that gaze. You know, when I got older, I felt just more judgment. I felt like I had to kind of measure up. You know, but can, like, like, just look for a second at my dad looking at his granddaughter and look at the way that he's looking at her. And if you could just, like, have a thought bubble 
of what he's thinking as he's looking at this baby? Maybe it goes something like this, like, wow, you're doing nothing. You're just sitting here, and did you poop? Like, you're, like, get a job. Of course he's not thinking that. Of course not. Of course not. It's just pure love. It's pure love. I'm, I'm not even sure there's a lot of thoughts there. But it is a pure energy that's happening here. Can you imagine that you can live in that energy all the time? This is part of the reason why we pray. It's not to just ask things of God. Or we try to be in the presence of God. You try to remind yourself. You need to know in your soul, in the depths of your being, that you know you're a child. You're a child of God. You are loved. Is that the energy that surrounds you, or is it more that energy of criticism? Is it more that energy of fear? When you're sitting there and you're waiting for something, are you vibrating with love, or are you vibrating with fear? Are you vibrating with anxiety, like, ah, I have so much to do, and if I don't do this, then I'm not going to get into grad school, and if I don't get into grad school, then I'm not going to make money. If I'm not going to make money, then no one's going to love me, and I don't make, right? Like, Like, what is the energy that's going through you, or can you just be there in this moment and you know, it's not always like you feel like cosmic love. It's not like rays coming down. But there's a different kind of energy where you can be at peace. You are free. You're not captive to the thoughts and the vibrations of fear. But now you are free for so much more. I mean, if anything, you can just enjoy that. Just like a child enjoys the love of the Father. One of the things that I've been trying to do in prayer, and I want to invite us to do that this in this moment. And praise team, you guys can come up whenever you want. But if you just want to enjoy some prayer too, you can. Up to you. You can enjoy it up here too. Up to you guys. Uh, but I want to encourage you to, just wherever you are, you don't have to like, you know, fold over in prayer. You can just close your eyes if you want to. You can keep your eyes open. Just take a moment. Just take some deep breaths. And just be in this moment where you can accept again your childness, that you are beloved. You don't have to lift a finger to do this. It's already been done unto you. Jesus gave his life so that we could know this. There's nothing that would stand in the way of God the Father from adopting his children. And so, friends, just receive you don't, you don't have to pray a rigorous prayer. You don't need to use a lot of words. Just, just be thankful. You know, I, I think that's a great way to receive this energy. Is to just say, thank you, Abba. Thank you, Abba. Thank you, Daddy. Thank you, Jesus. Just rest in that just for a moment. And if, if your thoughts start to get a little twisted or lost, or you start to go down rabbit holes, if you kind of find yourself losing your way, just say it again out loud. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Abba. And let's rest in that. Yes. Yes. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Precious God, what a lovely spirit is in this room that we can know that we are children of God. We don't need to impress anyone. 
We don't need to prove our worth. We can receive it. And it's a different kind of spirit than what this world usually operates in. And the spirit of fear and trying to measure up and trying to be moral or good enough or sophisticated enough or smart enough, God. Lord, we just want to be your children and to receive this gift from your Holy Spirit that makes us so. To live in this freedom that we can live out of this love for love, that we can do hard things for the kingdom because we know, we know that it's already secure, that this love is secure, that our relationship with you is secure in your love. In Jesus' name we pray.